Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 325. Why you should let kids break your game and your spirit. Presented by Kathleen Mercury and Julia Hearn. everybody late night everybody i hope you're awake because we are and we're going to be talking about this panel is roasted why you should let kids try to break your game and your spirit uh and <laughs> uh yes. so if that's what you are here to see cool because that's what you're going to hear about i'm julie ahern and i am the vp of greenbrier games and former elementary school teacher taught for 12 years have a master's in education Cool. Oh, hey, and? I'm Kathleen. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know I was getting the handoff. Uh, my name is Kathleen Mercury. Uh, I am a middle school gifted teacher, or you could say teacher of the gifted if you want to be all like that. Um, I've been teaching for 16 years. I have two master's degrees. Hey. Um, <laughs> but I've been teaching game design for about 13 years. And because I really hate the expression, those who can't do teach, which is a misquote anyway. I also design games myself, and I have one, possibly even two games coming out next year. So there we go. But I design games with kids, for kids, uh, by kids, playtest with kids. So my game design process is all about the children. Nice. And I am Anne Ratchet. I will be the facilitator and disembodied voice of this panel. Mm. So nice. Go for it. Yeah. Cool. Do it. Feel free to just yell out, you're wrong, and then say nothing else, and we'll just be like, okay. Or not. Okay. Anyway, cool. <laughs> Let's talk about kids and games. Nice. So what are we talking about, Anne? Great. So let's start off with uh why would you have children playtest a game in the first place? What games are you looking to playtest, and why are you targeting specifically children as a demographic? Well, I'll start. Cool. Um, for me, like I said, uh, I teach a semester-long strategy game design class or game design class with my seventh grade students. Um, I teach gifted kids, so and I usually have somewhere between 75, 80 kids on my roster each year. So every year, I've got you know that many games times, however many different types of games we design over the course. So I design a lot of games with kids. And at one point, like, and I usually have them put their final game on BGG for people to like chime in on, offer feedback. And I think at last count it was over 600 games from students that I had them put on BGG for other people to, uh, for them to discuss as part of the gaming community. It was, it's super cool. But um, so I started having kids design games because especially for the population I work with, I wanted them to have creative problems to solve 
where the input was relatively minor and the output was major, like 10% basically of what they need in order to design games is what I help them learn. And the other 90% is their effort from designing the product, you know, the, the whole design process, play testing, feedback, iteration, et cetera. Um, that's all on them because I don't care about what the rest of the world says about things. I care about what they say and what they think and what they want to make. And so, um, and kids love games and it's a really, really hard class. And um, I think at the end of the day, but because games make it fun and kids like games and they're incredibly supportive of each other. Um, it works out really well. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, I never had a targeted, uh, design class. I worked with mm -hmm. elementary school kids and my initial designs were for the classroom as educational tools for elementary school. So mm -hmm. I kind of, fell into it accidentally I was um I had always designed things for myself for fun uh, from when I was a kid my my dissertation when I was for my master's degree was to incorporate how do you incorporate board games as a learning tool in the classroom mm. to improve testing scores and of course you write something like that and you think okay well this is going to get me a good grade <laughs> you're pulling in some interesting ideas and you write a paper and you do some research and you think, all right, well, that's done. And no, I actually had several principals read it in the district that I was applying for jobs. And they were like, oh yeah, we like that idea. Okay. I was like, okay, what? They're like, we're going to, we're going to put you in this low test scoring school and you're going to design games so that that improves test scores. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> So I did, um, and and it and it, not just me. It was my Kate Wolf and I uh, were a team, and we had mm -hmm. both been working on this in our master's program. And they hired us together as a package deal, and mm. we paired off and uh, co-designed. I don't know, many, 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 many games to mm -hmm. improve testing scores primarily. But from that, you know, so you get the let's do a lot of rote memorization and asking questions that are framed like standardized testing so that they get familiar mm -hmm. with that, but in a more interesting setting so that they're more invested in finding out the answer and making it sound more exciting than it actually is. So that when they get to a test uh, situation, they're more familiar with that pattern of reading and, you know, all those testing strategies. So, you know, it was a lot of gamifying uh, stuff that isn't that fun. And then being able to sneak in, well, if you're going to let us do this, can I make a RPG to teach the Oregon Trail? Can I make a LARP to teach the immigrant experience? Can And mm -hmm. how far is the line? Can I do this? Can I do this? And nobody ever said no. So we kept pushing that limit while, while I was... So playtesting in that case was my classroom and the output was more our test scores, which is pretty stark and brutal and not yeah. as nearly exciting as as a creative process but it did give me a really good work ethic for designing for once I moved into uh, having my own board game company and at that point I had a, really, a lot of really good tools but wanting to continue to work with kids 
one, because I just, that's, that was part of my life and I really love it. And two, because you're, you're talking about accessibility. So for a game that's fun and you want to see if it's accessible to a lot of people, you get younger people to learn, see if they can play it because that's going to inform what demographic you're going to be able to uh, age wise, reading level wise, interest level wise, how broad, how wide a net you're casting. So I always like having it because kids will also be pretty brutal in their feedback. They're not polite. They don't hold back anything. And of course, now I've gotten to with my nieces and nephews because they had to start when they were two. <laughs> they really had no choice in the matter at that point. Um, they do a lot of play testing for me and have for a decade now and are quite good at it, but also have gotten to, you know, have gotten the point where they've designed several games because it's what they're exposed to. And I think that that's a really great process for learning, even if it's not mm -hmm. specifically the game designs coming to fruition. Uh, just quick, quick note um, in touching base on what um, Julie was saying. Um, when it comes to games in the classroom, which is definitely not what this is about, but just, no. you know, um, if people are interested um, on my website, KathleenMercury.com, I share all my game design resources um, for free for, you know, they're used all over the world. They're used at all different levels from um, elementary kids through college. And so I do have some um, stuff on there as it relates to the difference between gamification, game-based learning, gamifying your classroom. And if this is something that people want to know more about, I'm always happy to talk about it. Again, that's not necessarily what we're doing now, but you can see at least right. for what Julie and I are talking about, you know, um, the different approaches that people use when it comes to games in the classroom. So if you've got any questions on that, we can talk about that some other time, but um, by all means, contact me. And I've got some presentations I've given um, at different places about that, um, including one, I think an audio video recording of one from Gen Con um, in case people are interested. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Yeah. Well, and so um, I think it's interesting actually that they were so stark in games to improve test scores as opposed to games as an intervention tool to improve educational outcomes. Well, I guess so it was a very extreme situation. Mm -hmm. um, the school itself had what the district had been doing and it had created a huge upheaval because the state had just stepped in. What the city had been doing was having kids all moved to this one school so they could improve test scores throughout the district, except at the one school, which is not something that you can do. And the state had figured it out. And so they basically did a wipe the slate clean. A whole bunch of people were removed. And then they pulled, they were like, okay, well, we need a plan to improve the test score. Like they, it was a very, uh, I didn't know what I was getting into yeah. when, when I was hired, um, completely be, uh, way above my pay grade political, you know, right. Right. Mess, mess. Let's just say mess. Um, mm -hmm. And so when they presented it, it was, on the one hand, terrifying because this it was it wasn't just our district that was scrutinizing the test scores, it would be the state. On the other hand, because they were saying we're gonna give this as a 
Hail Mary kind of a thing I, and we're putting it on you, I was like, well, then I get to call the shots on how I'm going to teach, which you don't get to do mm. very often in right. a, you know, a public school. Uh, and it was, so there was a lot of freedom there and mm -hmm. it made it so that at least I could incorporate a lot of things that I thought the kids in this particular school, which were all lower socioeconomic backgrounds mm -hmm. and didn't get a lot of exposure to a lot of different things that we take for granted of, you know, enrichment in our lives kind of things where I could yeah. just, because of the sake of gamifying it, be like, I need all of these materials and there. And usually you get no as a teacher. And for one glorious year, I got a whole lot of yes. <laughs> and it was great. So, huh. you know, okay. That, that was a cool part about it. The terrifying part about it was always having like somebody coming in with a clipboard and watching your every move and writing all these notes and then leaving and all the kids being like, who's that? Right. I'm like, I don't know. Just don't even worry about it. We're going to be fine here. Do, 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 right. Do. Yeah. We, I definitely have the opposite teaching experience, but that's not necessarily what we're here today. We're talking about kids and games and play testing games with kids. <laughs> so I, so, so okay. So are you looking Go ahead, please. So what are you looking for for a child play tester and how do you recruit them? Well, for uh, me, recruitment's easy. They walk into my room. <laughs> Done. Why doesn't everybody do this? I don't get it. Um, so there's that. What are you looking for? Well, I am... I want my students to become creators, not just consumers. As high ability students, they are used, they can read every book, they can watch every movie, you can teach them whatever process, they can throw that right back to you. So for me, um, I want them to actually make things instead of just enjoying everybody else's things. And so for me, Play testing. I do play test my games with kids by far, and the and and there are two and there are two games that I have coming out. Both of them have um, a child in particular. Their name in the rules got approval from their parents, but that's because both of those kids made a suggestion. Or um, well, in one case, it was a suggestion that completely one hundred percent. When the kid told me the thing, I just looked at him like, I don't even need to play test it. That's going into the game forever. And it is amazing. And it's just something that a kid came up with that like based on clutter on the table and couldn't use this and this to do this thing. And I was like, yes, that is what I've been looking for. So that kid gets his name in the rule book. And then for the, another game, there was this one problem that for a year I'd been kicking this can around as far as like how to solve this, how to solve this. And I had a kid and he was literally like walking into another class. He's like, well, you know, what you could do is just do is like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, can't be that easy. <laughs> Using existing materials, one, like four lines of rules, can't be that easy. And it was. And it was. Don't, don't and you it love was. That? Solve the problem. Like, this is this little circular race game. Um, you saw that one. And um, I did. In, yeah, yeah. And in that game, um, there could be not like a runaway leader problem or a runaway loser problem. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and that one rule 
tightened it up so much that there was still a range. It's a race, but prevented somebody from basically, it, it didn't necessarily prevent somebody from shooting ahead, but it prevented somebody from falling way, way behind. And that in a race game is probably Huge. in some ways way more important than, you know, you, you don't want to hold back the leader, but you need to like keep everybody in yeah. it. And that was an idea totally born out of a kid going like, why not? I'm like, oh my God. Yes. Which actually taps into one of the things that I, I get to is, so the reading thing is is a challenge because a lot of our games are more mature to begin with. So it depends on the game that we're playtesting. Uh, if it's one of the scarier games, it has to be an older kid and it has they have to have a level of maturity. And of course, making sure that a parent is okay with it. So I have former students as well that still play mm -hmm. test for me. And then of course I have, I am, <laughs> I'm a professional aunt. I don't like it. Not that they're all related to me, but I somehow fall into this. I think it's the residual of being a teacher aunt mode. Mm -hmm. So I have lots of extended adopted family and they just, because I'm the lady with the games and everybody mm -hmm. likes the lady with the games. She's fun. Um, so I kind of, <laughs> I do. They. I start them very young. They all play. Start playing games when they're two, three, four years. I mean, really basic stuff. All the you know, the flipping the cards and matching. But I think it's having that patience because for me, it's not so much reading ability or it, you know, those are all good things to have. But for me, it's the ability to articulate your thoughts, which is hard mm -hmm. to do when you're younger. But if you're practicing it, so. It's hard. The balance is weird because if I have a six-year-old who's been playing games since they were two, they're obviously going to play at a higher level than the average six-year-old or mm -hmm. seven-year-old or eight-year-old. But I like it because they still have the emotional maturity of that age and they can give me the honest gut feedback of something emotionally. And since our games all hit on them, I'm trying to get them to hit on an emotional level. I want that unmitigated id <laughs> that they mm -hmm. can give me and that's a big part of why i do it i want to know when they hit their french frustration point and why and whether it's against another player or against the game itself and right. so it is a bit of a challenge because i don't want it to be about that they can't read it and they're frustrated so that's you know when i'm looking for playtesting and i play test uh games with the kids like i said because i want to see um how easy it is for a new gamer to get into things. And that's really hard to find in our industry who aren't gamers already, because I want to know if somebody completely new will be able to sit down with one of my games and be able to play it, or if not, where the hangups are going to be. I think and that's I really interesting. That. I, think th I think that's really interesting using kids. I never thought of it that way. Using kids as a substitute for, an entry level gamer. That's really because and an entry level gamer is not going to be honest with you because they're embarrassed they don't know. Correct. That's an yes. That's really and a smart. kid is not going to care. They're going to tell you that they hate what they're doing and they can they go outside and play. Mm hmm. So that yeah, and I think that yeah, for me especially. So when 
So I have students design games. They play test them with each other. They give each other feedback. They do that a lot. That's really important to me. You know, there's a lot that we do. Mm -hmm. The reason why I teach game design is not necessarily to have them become game designers. It's all this, the skills that you learn along the way about how to be a human and relate to other people and create yeah. work and all that. So, but the thing about kids is they don't have that lens that we have as adults. So when I'm creating a game, you know, like what's my theme, how saturated it is in the market? What are the mechanics that I'm using? How saturated it is in the market? Am I, what am I doing? Is it, is it novel enough? Like all the different types of things that we put on ourselves when it comes to design, all these little like holes that we have to like push ourselves through, they don't see any of that, you know? So they don't think about component costs. They don't think about, you know, like how many art assets will this use? You know, what they say is, you know, it would be cool if, and it was like, and, and as soon as a kid says it, I'm like, go on, you know, <laughs> because that's where you're going to get just that unvarnished, raw, you know, coming from a pure place kind of idea. And especially before my students play test their games with each other, the first playtest that they see is whatever game I'm working on. And I usually make sure it's a hot mess and I put it on the table and I tell them this is a hot mess and I need you to help me find the problems in this game. I know they're there, but I can't, I don't always, I don't always know which ones are actually the problems and I need you to help me do this. And so I model like playtesting and all that as the designer so that and model they give... the good behaviors absolutely which right is, you and know, then also it... helps you as a teacher for when you're trying to explain a game later on yes. um and you said somebody in the chat had a question and i know you didn't quite understand it but we're gonna get it i promise okay <laughs> <laughs> uh so the question uh from rachel basket tv is uh referring to the model of what i can assume is bloom's taxonomy would you rather have the child testers along that range or mostly at the stage of evaluation so to explain to anybody who in the audience who doesn't know what bloom's taxonomy is it's the level of understanding and knowledge base so you start with memorization and and re basically regurgitating knowledge so you memorize and then you can you can give it back and as you go up the level of, of thought process, it goes from that to much more abstract thought. So questioning, comparing, contrasting, making predictions of, you know, so inferencing. So you're going up in complexity of thought, more abstract thought as you go. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what that is, which is a teach, like a teaching thing that any teacher would understand what that was. Mm -hmm. But since everybody's not a teacher or a former teacher. <laughs> so Rachel, not Rachel. Although, hi, Rachel. Uh, Kathleen. <laughs> mm. So what, the, what was the specific question again? I'm sorry, could you restate it? Uh, it sounds like you put yeah. your kids at the top of Bloom's taxonomy, whereas typical playtesting child needs to be on a range from understanding to possibly evaluation. Well, I think, well, there's a couple things with that. One, uh, it's a game design class. So obviously when it comes, I have them thinking about not we don't just play games obviously i want them thinking about the game while they're doing it right and it, and in the very beginning right. when it comes to students like assessment and feedback of games it tends to be very observational very surface very concrete i like the little pieces 
you know, and then they start to say this was fun. And then that's where we have to start excavating, you know, like what about this made it fun, you know, and trying in the, I don't know, you know, so we got to, like, it takes time to get them from, you know, that level all the way up to, you know, what if you could do this would have a really meaningful impact on gameplay or whatever like that. It takes time to get them there. We, they started at concrete level, you know, um, a lot of my kids, you know, are by the end still pretty concrete when it comes to this, you know, there's a level of, you know, cause especially since I'm working with basically kids who are 13, you know, think about your emotional development and where you were. At well, 13, and, but you, you also know? think, yeah, but if you, and if you think about the, the cognitive and emotional development of kids, you have that up to fourth, fifth grade where it's all cerebral and then hormones hit and it goes back into the introspective and learning about their relationship. And it's not as much the, uh, you know, the, the academics as it is the inward reflection. So you, in some ways you feel like kids get dumb. <laughs> in that they make choices that are impulsive that they wouldn't have two years ago that they do like that and even that, yeah mm. uh, before they come back out of it so where they are in that process can affect how what they're choosing to do and mm. the reasons why because they might make a decision that they wouldn't have in the fourth grade that seemed more logical in the fourth grade and they make something that seems ridiculous in the sixth grade but it's because they're trying to figure out it's not so much they're trying to figure out the game. They're trying to figure out their feels. Well, and also, yeah, I also have kids who don't like designing games, who they have to take my class, right? They may not like right. games, but they have to do it, you know? So that's one other thing when it comes into that. When I have kids play games, if they don't like the theme of a game, and the whole game is just mo more than not, they disregard the whole thing. So um, I have had to remove over the years, like especially like classic kind of, you know, games like Alhambra and stuff like that don't work. They think the theme is really dry, even with like the money thing or whatever else, just for them, the game does not land. Um, corollary when in my film class, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, nope. They don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I don't show that one. That's an option for them to watch outside of class. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Alien movie, right? Not what yeah. they expect in an alien movie. They don't like it. Don't like it. it. Doesn't matter how cool the end is. It's not action. It's not, yeah. Nope. So um, when it comes to like the games themselves, Star Wars Carcassonne works very well with my students when it comes to game design because um, it's a much more relatable theme and they get to roll dice to basically attack each other. And that is super fun. In fact, I love Star Wars Carcassonne. And if you've not played it, get it. That it's was Riley and Daniel's first Carcassonne. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so like it's it's great, honestly. And like the dice mechanic is like pretty simple and straightforward. And I'm sure there are people who like, you know, gasp with the idea of holding dice for a game like that. But no, it's great, especially with kids, because regular carcassonne, they do not care that it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. No, don't they care. don't. don't but care. Star Wars, right. It was yes. it, and it was. It was their first, it was also their first their first uh entry into being board game snobs because I had gotten mine in Essen. <laughs> I was like, I can't replace this if we break it. You have to be careful with it. They were like, oh my why? God. And I was like, because right. I got it in Germany. And they were like, so of course the next day I got I got in trouble. My sister's like, can you please not have them like running around the school being like, we have a game imported from Germany. 
That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, I imported that and the Kylo Ren expansion. I don't think you need the Kylo Ren expansion, but if you want a few more tiles to make it a little bit longer, fine, whatever. Um, yeah, but that's what. But they, circle but, back to the <laughs> to the original question. <laughs> um, the the fact that yes, you're going to start with even when you're, when you're learning a game, you're going to start with your memorization games, which is the very lowest um, to get to the point mm -hmm. where they are able to tell you, well, you know, I made these choices because I formulated a strategy based on not just the rule set, but how my sister plays this game or how my, you know, my friend here who, and I made those decisions. So you become this much more abstract and pulling in meta, the meta experience of, did I want to do a take that to that other person? Um, is it because I'm carrying over something that happened at lunch? Is it, you know, all of those things you have to, yes, you have to ramp up to that level and not just be able to do it, but to be able to communicate it. And that takes a lot of time with any kid and right. a lot of hand And I think, right. And going back to Julie's point too, about using kids as sort of like a model for, or like a stand in for a new gamer. Just one thing I think that's important to keep in mind is, and I think this is probably doesn't even need to be said, but um, a little a kid is not an adult, you know. So when it comes to um, myself, I don't, I'm not a math person. I think in pictures. So to do a lot of calculations is a whole mental process in terms of converting things to images and then back to numbers that people don't necessarily want to get into, right? It's cool. But so if you were to say like, I want to play test a game and it's like an 18xx kind of thing, I'm going to be miserable the whole time, mentally exhausted, unless you let me use my calculator. You know what I mean? And even then I'm not having fun with it because the, the all the math that you have to do to be successful out, will outweigh the game. Likewise with kids, if you're wanting kids to play test games, you need to have them play games that kids would want to play. You can't, you know, like, yeah, I mean, to be a buy-in. And you have to know like the level of the kids, like if they're super into games and they play a lot of games, then you can level it up, you know, as you go to start playing some pretty hardcore stuff. So on, but... a, on a practical level, like mm. if you're not a teacher where there have to be a captive audience anyway, uh, you have, you know, if kids says I'm done, you have to be like, that's cool. Mm -hmm. There's snacks over there. Like you can't, there's, there's not a lot of like you had, you know, for me, and that's why I tend to do it in pockets of groups of families where I can kind of circle back and be like, you know what? Today's not the day. Maybe, maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow, maybe, maybe we're just having a rough day. Maybe, you know, you lost your soccer game and therefore everything in the world is horrible, including board games. Whereas tomorrow board games are the best thing on the planet again. Right. Because there's that, I mean, there's that factor as well. So I've done a lot of talking lately when I've done professional development about teaching games and stuff is about gaming literacy and gaming literacy to me, games are a medium, just like any other art form. Right. And in any art form, Correct. there is a vernacular. There are <laughs> oh, that was my 230 panel. <laughs> <laughs> there Sorry. are behaviors, standards, practices, etc. And um, for any one of us, kid or adult to design a game, you have to have some working knowledge of basically the scale and scope of the medium that you're working in. I w I've yeah. never written a book and I don't think I've read a mystery book 
And so if I decide, hey, I'm going to write a mystery book, it's going to be bad because I am not informed and I don't understand the medium, right? And so likewise, when it right. comes to kids and games, if you want them to design games, um, then you have to teach them a lot of games, just play a lot of games. And then because all artists work off references, um, the reason why when kids design games in schools, they look like Monopoly and Candyland and all that is because most games kids play are track-based games determined by a randomizer. Correct. So that's, and so the more you can expand what they know, the more ideas they can rip off and put into other games. So in keeping with that, when you're playtesting games with kids, I think, I think back to when I first became a gamer and I would go home after game nights with a headache from just mentally being wiped out from having to learn different rules and try to make sense of them. Because the other thing for me too is, you know, I am an I am not an auditory learner. I am a visual learner. I think in pictures. So if you tell me all these different things and the rules explanation takes half an hour, I've lost it. I've lost the plot. I have no idea. And I'm just hoping that I can play this game well enough where it's not a completely evident to everybody that I am and you're totally an lost. And I'm right. an adult and I know these things and I can articulate the, for these things and I can advocate for myself. So when it comes to playing with kids, you have to be willing to make sure you really understand where they're at. So like if it's the first time you're playtesting with a group of kids, don't put your game on the table first. Put a game, on, put, hey, that's my fish on the table. Put other games that you can teach, play, and you know, finish 15, 20, 30 minutes, get an idea of where they're at in terms of them as players. And then you can start to move into playing prototypes because if you throw a kid in something that's super, you know, that's just going to overwhelm them, like it's not going to work. So the other thing. Yeah. Go ahead. The other, I was going to say anecdotally, that was uh, so Riley's birthday. She wanted for 11th birthday. She wanted to play Mysterium with all her friends. Mm-hmm. Now she can play Mysterium. She could run Mysterium, but at 11, but her friends are, I was like, how many of them play board games? Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't know. I was like, okay, cool. So we played Codenames Pictures first. <laughs> So that they mm-hmm. can talk through and work in teams to figure out how to have a communication about images that you can only communicate with one word. And then we played Muse, which is another team-based using abstract pictures in silly ways to try to communicate which picture you're talking about. And then we played Mysterium. So that when I gave them their dream, the images from the ghosts, which are these abstract pictures, they weren't mm-hmm. like, I don't get it. And so I'm going to teach everyone education world scaffolding. Scaffolding. (laughs) I mean, but that's the thing, though, is, you know, the other thing, too, is when you're playtesting a game, when I'm playtesting a game, you know, um, if if there's something in particular that I'm testing and I get enough information from, right, it's okay for me to say, hey, we're ending the playtest. Like, we're done. Adults are usually cool with that they're like great you got what you needed now we can play test something else kids are like but i want to play but i want to finish and you know i was winning right exactly i like my character (laughs) yeah then guess what you have to make sure that you finish you know because they you know that's one thing that's hard in the class when i teach this to kids 
to get them to think as a designer and sort of remove from their game. The first time they play test their game in groups, they get to play it. The second time they don't, and they're just there to observe. And it's really interesting because some kids really kind of get it, and other kids are sitting there from the sidelines trying to tell everybody what to do so they can play the game the way they're supposed to play it. So when I was in college and a theater major, mm -hmm. which I never really mm. ended up doing, um, uh, can you please use your college theater skills? I would like you to explain this with a Czech accent. Go. No, that is not happening. Um, but I had one. You professor. didn't even try, but I'll, no. let, I'll stop interrupting. It's no. Um, I had one professor who it was directing and he said, okay, Hamlet, we're going to do Hamlet. So you get to do Hamlet. I need you to write. I need you to write everybody to write Hamlet. Four pages with four characters. Everybody's read Hamlet. I know you've read Hamlet a million times. You had to take the course last semester. Four characters, four, go. Come back tomorrow. So four pages, a four-page Hamlet with four of the characters. He took all of ours, handed them to other people, said, okay, you're directing this one, you're directing this one, you're directing this one. Cast it. I need everybody performing it tomorrow. Go. We did this for a month. Two-page Hamlet with one actor. Five plays Hamlet with one act. Like we mm. did this, and then everybody had to rotate. And so you were writing Hamlet, directing Hamlet, and acting in like three Hamlets at any given time. And mm. anytime the writer tried to say no, what I meant was he would yell out, Shakespeare is dead. That is amazing. And it was like boot camp. <laughs> but at the end, it really drove home that as a designer, as an artist, once it leaves your hands, it is out of your control. So make sure whatever you're doing is clear and concise. And that's something that, again, kids will, if, if there's a mistake or something to be un misunderstood, they will find it mm -hmm. right away. Which we, is, have yeah. Some, yeah. we have some more questions from chat. Ooh. Yeah. Hey, uh, that's coming awesome. from, give me some name. Do you think there is good value from having children play test traditional role-playing games, especially if there's a potential for kid-friendly versions? How do you approach that? Yes. Um, no thank you evil. Love it. It's so no thank you evil is uh, Monty Cook. So cipher system pared down, it's still the Cypher system. So if you want to learn how to play any of the Cypher system games, so uh, where it's completely beefed up, you can start with No Thank You Evil, which was written by uh, the daughter of the owner of the company so when she was 12, mm -hmm. and they co-designed it, and it's about going on adventures with kids. So yes, there's absolutely value. And the best part about that is it takes it from uh, the cipher system is for anybody who doesn't know you when you create a character, it's I'm an adjective noun who verbs. And all the adjectives. So the noun is your, you know, your character class, basically, or class, your adjective is the modifier of like what you're specialized in that class. And then the verb is like your special abilities within that type of thing. So they set it up that way, which means when you do it with kids, as a five-year-old, you can just be, I'm a noun. Don't worry about the rest yet. And then as you start to level up, you can be an adjective noun. And then as you get to be like 12, you're an adjective noun who verbs and has a sidekick 
who is so I am a fabulous ninja who throws exploding cupcakes and yeah. has a sidekick that's the monster under the bed. And each of those has like its own little special stats with like a little card that gives you so you can make it like so that your character, but it's all narrative driven. So it's promoting storytelling. You only have four stats for which to be able to do your things that you spend. So you're strong, you're fast, you're smart, or you're awesome. And awesome is using your own points to help somebody else achieve their goals when they can't Mm. make their role. The whole thing is amazing. It's all completely scaffolded as you rate level up. It's very silly. And at one point I was running three different games with three different groups of kids. So that is just one example. It's just my favorite example of showing how a game can start within a system and teach them how to level up into playing a full RPG system. Right. So I've done RPGs with uh, my eighth grade students and my approach to it again is that sort of scaffolding. I've got kids who come in who like are playing D and D they know it, they love it. You know, they don't know anything else other than D and D I think, but, um, but they but so they're pretty well versed in terms of that. Um, I want all my kids to get to that point. And so, um, and I also did not like the first time I played D and D and it was like, here's your character sheet. And I was totally lost. Character sheet is not intuitive for new players, especially when there's information, information you need to know that isn't even on there as far as like how do i determine to roll for initiative or whatever like oh you take this and this and this and this you're like what you know so anyway um if you're into design at all user experience i would love somebody to design a character sheet that is designed for brand new players not for existing players there's a chat was will sobel's earlier today hello Welcome to you're bonus like, you're level. touching on it. Where we're just wrapping up the whole Saturday. Welcome to bonus level with Kathleen Mercury. Um, so anyway, so when I do RPGs with students, uh, the first thing I do is the I use the Parsley system. Um, it's interactive fiction where basically a human is the parser, is the computer, and I run it for everybody. So basically they are all the same unnamed character. They're learning how to explore a world and interact with this imaginary world, right? Um, And completing some sort of task. Then I move to The Quiet Year. The Quiet Year is an amazing RPG because... um, it's what it's all about for them. It's learning how to follow the rules of a system, which means very little talking, but basically they're creating a world, but it's cartography based. They can say like a sentence or two about what they think, but then they have to draw it on a map. And there's ways that they can show their displeasure by drawing tokens, because it's basically designed to show how communication and communities is fragmented and unsatisfying. And once we do the quiet year, we move into mermaid adventures, uh, mermaid adventures from third eye publishing. I love it because it is a great, um, the instructions in terms of like what an RPG is and how you create a character is something that I can like kind of talk my students through, but the way, but it actually helps them get from like start to character creation. And it's modeled after, you know, like a D20 system and they use um, D6s in the system, but basically, you know, it takes them through character creation all the way through to um, like having that. And it also has 
five scripted adventures. So then they all in their small groups take turns running a different adventure for each other. So not only does it scaffold, you know, the creation, the character creation, but also running games and giving them the experience of how to run a game as well as play it. Now from there, I would move into other systems, uh, Lady Blackbird, which is a free RPG and it's great. Um, mm -hmm. And some other ones in, and in, up to and including D and D. But, ladies and gentlemen, Wendy's came out with an RPG that oh is D&D. &D. So good. It is so good. so good at explaining D20 RPGs for newbies who've never done anything. It's 20 pages. There's maps, everything. You can play as a Frosty. You can play as a Baked potato so it is funny but it's got everything in there you look at it and it formatted it looks just like it just looks like dnd material seriously but it's wendy's and it's free and it is i swear to you the all-in-one encapsulated intro to dnd adventure that i had been waiting for and i have had kids when we play. talk about accessibility it's it's brilliant and i have had kids play it one girl came in, made a stuffed potato, added cotton on it to be the sour cream, added little bits of green felt for the chives, uh, made a little witch hat. So she made her character one night and brought it in. She made a baked potato with a witch hat. And I actually like took pictures. And I tweeted it to Wendy's and they tweeted back. They're like, A plus. And I'm like, oh my God. We're all silent. We broke the internet. You know, we're so excited. But the point is, so, but honestly, it's great. So, but again, going back to the point is when it comes to like RPGs and stuff like that, like, honestly, you know, I mean, I've got a friend who's been, his kids have been, you know, playing D and D with him since, you know, they were like three or who knows what, you know, it just depends on what you're interested in. Um, I always take the approach of, you know, working with people who know nothing and will hate it if I do it wrong. And so, cause and they're small cause they will tell me. And so that's the approach I take. And honestly, Thank you, Wendy's. Um, I also want to say that when I do filmmaking, I use Taco Bell's commercials, the Web of Fries and Retrieval, the commercials that they have made about their nacho cheese fries, literally movies worth of cinematography in a minute and 30 seconds. So I, I make lots of jokes about, you know, Kathleen Mercury is sponsored by Yum Brands, but, you know, guess what? Still but works. to circle back, so, but the thing about tabletop, you know, or any kind of role-playing game, mm -hmm. you have a wide range. So knowing what the challenges are, if you're going to go through something that is that high level of graphs and charts and everything like that, knowing something like a Wendy's that gives you the introduction that, that you know, that's why D&D is finally getting to the part where they have those starter starter kits and everything too, because they realized the accessibility wasn't there because they had been catering to the people who had been playing forever already right. and not realizing they weren't bringing new people in so they're starting to get savvy to it but it took a while so for kids the challenge is finding those i like more the story narrative driven ones that don't rely on a lot of mechanisms because that's something that kids can do or many mm -hmm. kids can do is the storytelling that's what they've been practicing a lot more in school so something that is two pages that is all about the mm -hmm create the story, create the game there yourselves, here are some guidelines, is a much better way to start. And it's also a much way to, better way to get them into 
des designing themselves if that's what they're interested in doing. But playtesting that is a lot easier than mm -hmm. a whole system for kids, period. Otherwise, you're, that, you are doing a lot of scaffolding. Yeah. If I were to choose, if my kids to do like a fantasy-based RPG, I would 100% have them play Dungeon World over D&D. Because Dungeon World has like four pages of like actions and stuff like that. And then each character sheet is a front and a back and has literally everything on there so that when you unlock an ability, you just check it off on there. It's already on the sheet. You know, and the characters are more like simplified composites of the different races and classes and stuff like that. And the, the night and only uses D6s. And honestly, is a system that could easily be copied over where the kids could create their own characters relatively easily because of how well it serves as a model. Um, I also really love the RPG Lady Blackbird. I took that and I made a Harry Potter version of it with all witches. And um, I've run that many, like two separate cycles with different groups, you know, of like, you know, six, eight sessions, whatever. Um, and so having systems that are copyable for students, I think is important because when there's so much information, like there can be in a D&D, &D, Pathfinder, et cetera, whatever system, it is um, can be really, really uh, intimidating for kids to try to generate their own content. Um, right. They'll just want to follow the book because it's going to be so much better than what they would come up with. But if you start with something where there's a lot more wiggle room for them for their own self-expression, right. it's better for them and they will generate more content that's more interesting because of that. We have about 10 minutes left of the panel. And oh, my like gosh. Question. Yeah, do yeah it. an hour is not a lot of time. So from the game biologist, when iterating a design, how much weight do you place on what you observe from kids during play tests versus what they tell you for feedback after the end of play? So I want I, I know I'm going with some anecdote stuff, but I want to give one anecdote about uh, play testing with my niece and nephews. And when I, because I know them so well, there is a lot of not what is said, but what or what they say is not when it isn't direct. So there is a lot of blunt. I don't want to play this anymore. I'm bored. But they've gotten much better at that because they don't want to hurt the designer's feelings. Because at this point, they've started to realize that the designers are my friends. And they, so they don't want to hurt their feelings, which is very sweet. But at the same time, not helpful in, in giving me feedback on a design. So I've learned that they like a game when they ask me if it's a real game. And by that, they mean published. And I keep having to explain to them, well, they're all real games. So they're like, no, 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 one that you can buy in the store. And if they say that, that means they think it's a game that is worthy of being in, in a target. In a <laughs> and that, to the, that means that they, thought, they think it's complete in their minds. Um, and Fairly recently, I was playing a game about Valkyries with them. Yeah, a design. Yeah, uh -huh. and they were play testing it, and we played multiple times. Which to get them to play more than twice is usually very challenging. Instead, we played with just two of them, then all three of them. Then my sister had to come in and help play. And I said, "So can I can I get some feedback on this?" And usually, I get, "Well, I really liked." this they're they're really good at the compliment sandwich at this point mm -hmm. but 
But I feel like maybe it was a little bit mean and I could do things that hurt John's feelings here that maybe he didn't have any ability to, to help himself during that time. But I thought it was a good try. Like I get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Or playing a game. And this one I got. So is this a real game? And I said, you mean a published game? Yeah. Is this a published game? I said, no. So somebody has to publish it? Yes. Is it going to be you? <laughs> and so sometimes like, that is their way of saying, this is great. I loved it completely. And I find it funny that instead of just being fully in, like, I love this. They, they're, they're too jaded maybe at this point. So yes, there's some things where it's definitely a, how long did it hold their attention? Period. If they wander away mm-hmm. and I've played 50% of the game, sometimes depending on the age, that might be a win. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, if it's just, I don't like it, getting the actual, what like watching what, what it was that frustrated them, where it might be the reading level and it might not be the game at all. So yes, you have to look at the verbal and nonverbal, but yes, that was my anecdotal mm-hmm. and we'll talk later. Yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, so what I was going to say is absolutely a hundred percent, hundred percent, because one other thing too, is it's really hard for kids to articulate sometimes what it is that they don't or don't like do or don't like about a game without training, without a lot of experience, even with the kids that I'm working with who, you know, for kids to really understand the nuances of gameplay. And thinking about how it could be, should be different is so incredibly difficult. If a kid is looking bored, I mean, if they have phones, just like adults and they want to like play on their phone, if they're kicking their shoe or any of that other stuff, absolutely. Any bit of communication, verbal, nonverbal is important for for adults versus um, kids as well. Absolutely. hundred percent. All of it matters. All of it's real. And they don't put, there's no artifice to kids. So in a lot of ways, if I'm an adult, I can sit there and be like, "Mm, this is interesting. Oh, this is so good. And I'm putting on a show, right? They don't do that. No. So they do not. Last question, just very quickly. Mm. Uh, this was presented by Dodo Corgi slightly as a joke, but also there's a serious question behind it. Um, Do it. So they say, I don't have kids. Where does one procure them? Mostly joking, but for people without direct access to their friends' kids, are there good ways to find playtestable kids? So the, that is a hard answer because all the kids that I play this with are my friends' kids, but I find make friends with gamers, and then I make friends with their kids. Uh, is the mm-hmm. how I get there from here? I I think partly it's I mean ha- being a former teacher, and right now it's super hard because it was mostly at conventions where a kid comes up, and it's sometimes really hard at a convention where there's a lot of people and a lot of noise. And they have sensory overload and you have sensory overload. And a lot of people just kind of ignore kids mm-hmm. at a convention. And I do not. <laughs> I make sure like, so if it's, even if it's busy, I'm, I get down on their level and I'm like, Hey, how are you doing? What are you thinking about the show right now? Huh? Are you good? What's your, what's your overwhelmed level? Mm-hmm. What do you, what have you seen that you liked? And I have a conversation. So, and it's, it's part of being a teacher. You just kind of like, I ha- I want to check in because sometimes kids don't show that they're overwhelmed until they are. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of empathy for that. 
So I think I've it's made hard a lot enough of to friends. see an adult crying at Gen Con to see an eleven year old crying at Gen right. Con. You know, right? Right. Exactly. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's expressing interest in and in talking with with both parents and kids and in a way that's genuine and actually show expressing interest in their thoughts. And that mm-hmm. kind of nat- naturally just leads to, and I know that's hard. It's a fine line between being creepy and not when, when you're doing it. But I think also as a teacher, having that experience of being able to be approachable helps. Right. And that, that yeah. led me into making friends with families that has allowed me to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of rules that aren't in place in a good way for kids protection when it comes to like schools and, you know, after school groups, like, you know, like, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, that sort of thing. Um, it can be hard. And like I said, yeah, it's just going to have to be like, you know, gamer friends whose kids also like games, which I, <laughs> there's nothing sadder when there's a gamer whose kids hate games. And they're like, I wish they would play with me, but they don't want to, you know. So, yeah, it is. Well, uh, it can't I find be- usually those are the ones that are trying too hard, whereas I always made sure like mm. when a kid was like, so John, he had twin older siblings that are three and a half years older than him. And he wanted to play a game and he would sit down and like within 30 seconds realized that there was no way he was going to win and he would just peace out. Mm. And it took him until he was six. So the twins were like two and happy to like sit down and play with like the really thick. I mean, they were chewing on it mostly, but I was trying to play like matching stuff up to like so that they were playing more. We were playing uh, once upon a time when Riley was four. And I'd have to tell them, like, because you could use the pictures. Even the words were too hard to read half the time for me because of the font. But mm. Um, but they could, they could t- look at the pictures and make the story and they couldn't get to the end. Like they could never figure out how to work the ending of the plot, but they could at least give me the ongoing story. And I remember Riley telling something that was like, you, we went over the wall and on the other side of the wall, it was magic, but the magic had t- turned all the, uh, like the inanimate objects that are usually happy Disney objects into like one attacked you and so you had to have this battle with a pair of shearing scissors and you killed them dead and I was like I am terrified of you four-year-old um <laughs> like this whole like where she put down every single one of her as she was telling it and I went I'm done I was like yeah okay so so you have like you have to build up to that and she took like whatever and also you have to play games that you I'm not gonna lie you have to play games that they like Yes. With that, we are out of time. Uh, where can we find you online? <laughs> it was not very inspirational to end with, but okay, thank you. Um. That's totally correct, though, honestly. Um, so I, my name is Kathleen Mercury. I like the planet, like the god. Uh, you can find all of my game design resources at kathleenmercury.com. And um, I really love to collaborate. So I work with people all over the world. I work with Girl Scout troops, Boy Scout troops, anybody, everybody who wants to have kids design games, libraries, etc. Um, happy to consult, happy to talk about it for free, just because I want to share the love. So um, KathleenMercury.com. And I am Julie from Greenbrier Games. So it's Greenbrier, B-R-I-E-R Games. So we're greenbriargames.com we have facebook page twitter instagram i don't know everything else under the sun and you can find me there and with that we are a wrap thank you everyone for attending and have a lovely rest of the con good night night thanks night thank you